This is the podcast Creative at the Wheel, and I'm Julie Clare. This podcast is all about the role of inspiration, serendipity, and spirituality in a creative's life, both in the studio and in the workplace. I talk with artists and creative professionals of all ages and backgrounds on what it takes to live a fulfilling, creative life. Today, my guest is Mary Stacy, and Mary is the founder of Context Consulting, a global consultancy based in Canada. She combines her role as managing director with select client engagements, innovative projects in leadership development and university teaching. Uh, Mary brings a unique blend of strategic and relational capabilities to her work, which is known for its light touch and powerful impact. I know Mary as a leader who brings in artists and creatives to everything that she does and often leads with women. And I've always been drawn to who Mary is and how she's doing it, how she's reaching these global leaders with quite a, a breakthrough, you know, quite a great kick-ass team, frankly. Here, here is the, one of the statements on her website that I love, Artist Collaborations. Artists are society's most daring visionaries. Never knowing precisely where their actions will lead, they creatively embrace emerging realities. Welcome, Mary Stacy, to the call. Hi, Julie. Great to be here with you. Oh, it's great to be here with you. Uh, I know we met probably 10 years ago now um, in a coaching training in, Denver, um, in Colorado and in Boulder, mm -hmm. and we've been aware of each other since then. I've had the opportunity to spend a little time with you in person in the painting studio, and I know how you open you are to new ideas and new events, and I've also been a bit mystified for your ability and your prowess really as an executive leader and talking talking business talk talking talking mm -hmm. executive leadership with a lot of men in the room and doing it your way and I think I would love to start out with um what the heck what's the deal with bringing I mean just what what's one thing you can say about why are you bring artists with you what's going on with that when you go into a uh going to work with a leadership team is it something that they know ahead of time when they hire you that they're going to be being opened up on the creative side as well or the innovation side? Or how is it that you get bring that into your work? Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear. Well, I, I'm going to give you a two-part, kind of two-part answer to that. I think that what I ground all of my work in is an awareness that the context for leadership itself is becoming more challenging. I remember reading an article by Salman Rushdie in 2013. It was in the New York Times, um, Wither Moral Courage. And he talked about during the times, during times of societal decay or cultural collapse, um, things become much more difficult for artists and scientists. And I thought back then, oh, you know, as with artists and scientists, so with leaders. Uh, and I think that we are all aware now that we are living in a time of unprecedented change and we need new capacities. And by that, I think I mean interior spaces um, mm. to be able to respond rather than react, to be able to find our way through novel situations and challenges to bring people together in ways they've never come together before, to improvise, uh, and as I said, to be, to be more adaptive, to change as we go. And I can't think of, uh, you know, any a group that has offered us a template for this kind of work that leaders need to be doing uh, any more than artists themselves. And I think that that quote, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, we think about artists every day coming back to a blank canvas or a, a blank sheet where they're going to be writing some music or, or writing a poem and needing to draw from some interiority, a wellspring of um, inspiration that will allow them to move into unknown situations. Um, so this... I think I've just been cultivating this ability to 
bring together the more technical dimensions of leadership. We need to solve problems. We need to follow regulations. We need to do all of those, the things. Right. But we also need to tap into a very a deep, very human uh, wellspring uh, that will allow us to live lives and lead organizations as a creative process. Well, you're, you know, so much of what I love is what my work, when I work with people, I'm, I'm working on an individual level usually and groups, but not organizationally, not with this, what you're saying, bringing those two halves together with the business and the creative. I'm directly uh, doing the other stuff. And I, I just say, it's so exciting to me to imagine you walking into a room and having that conversation, bringing it in as an obvious place to start, like, mm -hmm. You know, like this is where I start. And I also know that you have um, pretty much you work with a lot of women on your team. Mm -hmm. What 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 is that been a conscious decision? Is that just how is that formed that way? Well, I do, I do tend to, and I don't do it, uh, I don't actually <laughs> do it by design. And, and, but I did have a situation about a year ago where one of my, um, clients came and decided to drop into a leadership conference that we were facilitating. And she said to me at a certain point, Mary, um, you do realize you have an all women team working with you in this, you know, she said in a German company and 75% of the room is, is men. Do you really think that's going to work well? And, it gave me pause for sure, um, but what I also understood that was that that was the third conference we'd had with these people, uh, and each one we had, they successively said, this has been the best conference of our lives. So, oh. <laughs> the, you know, we're, yeah. we're, do, we're doing things that are, I would, I would say, evolutionary, and what I mean by that is that they're evolving to meet the times that we're in, but they're also evolving to meet and just be at the leading edge of the readiness uh, of the people that we're working with. Uh, and what we, I think we understand in our work is that creativity can have to do with conversations. Creativity can have to do with telling stories it can have to do with um, doing interactive exercises that are not about light team building, but are about kind of deep awareness building. So we have all kinds of ways <clears throat> to bring more creative, artful practices into organizations that help people expand their capacity to lead in complexity and uncertainty. And that so for me is the bottom line the bottom line it's beautiful and and i'm 100 percent with you i mean i i mean geez needing to be able to respond in new ways and the complexity of what's required of us right now and so we could talk about that we could talk about so many things i i'm partly wondering about your personal journey of how you become a leader that knows that brings this knowledge with you and for starters i'd, I'd love to know how is it that you made it through business school because i'm assuming that that was not the mainstay of the business that you learned. Maybe it was, yeah. but did yeah. you, were you frustrated or was this something that it has been an evolution also for you to where you could handle the left, you know, left side of the brain as much as the right side as it came mm -hmm. at you or well, with you? Well, yeah, I'm somebody who's had a, I've had a very nonlinear career. I'm actually in my fourth, <laughs> you know, my fourth fourth iteration, I suppose we could say, I started in the human service field when I was very young, given great responsibility to uh, integrate people who were deaf and developmentally handicapped into the community and uh, ended up learning from them how to live in community. Um, so, and then I went on from there to, to be a an academic actually moved into uh, academic environments, teaching and doing faculty development. And I had a very, you know, I learned there what it meant to step away from the arrogance of 
my teaching <laughs> to become a facilitator of learning. But I became a, a very fascinated at a certain point um, by what it means to create communities and cultures um, of belonging, of mm -hmm. trust, of deep relationship, of um, figuring it out together when some of when all of the conventional ways of understanding why we were here have fallen away. And I suppose my own childhood uh, prepared me for that. I had an ex you know experiences in young childhood where um, people very close to me in my family died suddenly and uh, and at an early age and I had situations where you know the the you know the dreams that I had for the life I was going to um, flow into shifted very rapidly. I think people use that phrase of mm. about maps being torn. So, um, so would you say at an early on that you experienced great change and were um, catapulted out of some kind of automatic sense of what would just happen for you? Like all of a sudden things were, was that a time of reinvention as well? Or is that just adjusting to loss and change? And not just, but because um, I really am interested in your capacity of how you've become this person. And I do talk with a lot of people who are creatives and they need to make professional choices. How do they choose careers? How do they let this that is most core to them kind of help them lead lead their choices in terms of mm -hmm. what work they do, how they focus? And I'm just wondering what that was in childhood that do you think it was a, what got birthed there, do you think, in that, in that loss of having um, people in your family? Was it one person or multiple people die when you were young? Well, I came home from school in grade three, and my father had um, had a heart, um, a fatal heart attack on a business trip. So, one of those he was here today, here yesterday, and you know, and then not today. And um, and he was a creative person. I I came to learn as I got older, um, and so I think that the create you know the the creative imagination. I have a belief it lives in all of us mm -hmm. um, and that our education systems, uh, life experiences that encourage us to protect ourselves, to hold back from um, being spontaneous, trying things out, um, those, those are great pressures. And I think it is a developmental journey. Um, I'm not 25 years old anymore, and it's been hard work to... Um, I think as Mikado said, you know, to make the path by walking and to try to, um, to come to under, to reclaim. And I think that's, a, that's a, for me been a large part of the feminine journey to reclaim um, the spaciousness, the receptivity to life and what it wanted to offer me. Um, and so I've, I've had this such, I feel so privileged to have been able to bring that into my work, which in itself has been kind of a grand improvis improvisation. There hasn't been no five-year plan. Um, Can you but, remember what one of the, I love this because that quality of, um, you know, wanting to reclaim, not, well, of saying yes to I, that spontaneous improvisational Mm -hmm. ability to respond to life. Do you remember one of your earlier professional decisions that strikes you as quite risky or, yeah, spontaneous or really saying yes to this that you were reclaiming, you know, at different stages? Do you remember mm -hmm. something that strikes well, you I remember. I remember the moment when I stepped away from the role I had in a corporation in their leadership development um, in their corporate leadership development division and you know it, it was going well and not well it was 
Uh, I was working with my clients who were doing amazing things, uh, a, a significant business unit in the organization, um, but human resources who were my real employers were not really understanding what it was I was doing and who were, and were not really um, open to anything that wasn't kind of in within the kind of conventional or standard template. And so I remember um, the moment where we had a kind of mutual parting uh, and I left the organization, but I took that client with me as I began Context, which for a period of time had no name. Uh, I really couldn't figure out what to name it. And then I dreamed it one, <laughs> dreamed it one night. You I dreamt your name, Context Consulting? Yes, yes. And, and I think that... And I think that that I, I always, uh, I, yes, I have a lot of um, <laughs> regard for what dreams can offer us in terms of the, the guidance and the, uh, um, the wisdom that's in the unconscious. Did yes. it actually come, was it spelled in your dream or did you just wake up knowing, knowing the name? I mean, do you remember? I just woke up. I don't remember having a dream, but I, I do remember the night that I dreamed my life. That was, that was a quite a, and it, there was no, there was, there were no people, there was no activity, there was, there was only color, but I woke up knowing that I had dreamed my life. Was there? So, yes, dream, I think dreams and the creative impulse are very, for me, are very connected, and um, and and watching for signs and synchronicities in life and. Because I'm also in action research, <laughs> I have to triangulate my synchronicities. But once once I see three of something uh, or begin to see a pattern, then I have, you know, I have real clarity that it's time time to move. So Wait, now is that how long has that been with you? The sense of a, tri- a triangle quality to the synchronicities thing. So do you have a thing with the the universe saying, "Hey, if this comes up three times, I'm really looking at it. I'm really." What is that? Well, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't count one, two, three, but I, you know, I trust intuition. Yeah. I trust that um, there are, you know, that life brings signs. There are signs all around us uh, that if we have enough self-awareness, if our inner and outer world is, if there's coherence between uh, our deep interior and the exterior, um, these things are very available to us. And so, uh I don't kind of say there's number one, there's number two. Sometimes I do, but I know that I, uh, I get, I have very clear signals about when to move. You how? See, that's that's. A, I I really love talking to people about that because so many of us who have this openness or interest in allowing that the feminine and masculine to come together or the creative to come together with whatever it is we're doing. Uh, you know, bringing that together, I think we have this thing of serendipity or synchronicity. Was that available to you as a child or was that coming into an adult, coming to know yourself better? And because that quality of you trusting that, I'm just curious where that Mm -hmm. started. You may not know, I don't know, but when's the earliest you remember that? Was that um, when you were starting the context, you were starting, you brought the client over? Was that, or is it, did it start before that? Um, I don't know if I can trace it back to childhood, but I but I think that what I can talk you know I can talk a little bit about is how this is very real now in the work that I'm doing. I tend to have partnerships with clients that endure over a number of years. In corporate speak, they will often call these transformation journeys, um, and my current client. Uh, our relationship started actually as a, it was intended to be two days because he was having a bit of conflict with his team and wanted someone to support that. Uh, and we're now, he's still sponsoring this work uh, five years later. Um, he and his leadership team have been highly committed to staying the course, even as things changed all around them to being the ones who would go first, who, to being the ones who would uh, facilitate development in their, next, um, in their next level team. And 
there he will talk very openly about how there 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 was no plan. We never put a plan on paper. Um, we have a partnership where we understand what the other one uh, is sensing. We trust the relationship, and we evolve this transformation initiative or journey. Um, to keep pace with the growth in the team. So it is how my work happens now. I, I can't, it's, you know, it's kind of like sticking needles in my eyes when I have to sit down and write a plan for something because those are illusion anyway. Um, and now, this it sounds point, like that's, that's almost, am I getting this right? That's almost what you're known for now, actually, that you, you, are you partly sought out for this very quality, would you say? Yeah, I think that the, this is not my question. It was, it was one that a, a client of mine shared with his team at a certain point. But I think it's a question that is alive for every leadership team. How can we lead when we can't know where we're going? That is the, that is the state. That's the reality of leadership today. We can't know how conditions are going to change rapidly and with great consequence on, in an instant. Uh, and so how can we create the conditions for leadership to emerge and evolve um, in this context where we can't, we can't anymore fool ourselves into believing that we can know precisely where we're going? I hear how much a part of that work is right now with your team. I'm, and to me, it's so satisfying hearing you speak of this. This is how I imagine things can work. And it really does feel like this is what you're doing with people. I, I'm still wanting to get at when you still even say left or you started uh, right at the beginning context consulting, you get this name in a dream. It's like, what is it in you there that you trusted? Was it a, a bodily feeling? Was it a sense of power? Was it a sense of rightness inside? Was it, um, you know, was the writing on the wall or were you really making a big jump into a dream? How does it first, how did you, what did this quality of improvisation, not being able to control what you're doing, but you saying yes to it professionally, how did that, what was that experience for you like, if you can remember? Well, I, what comes to mind is what Martin Hayes, who is, um, he, he works, he comes to, he's on the creative arts faculty at the Bruin retreat that we have every summer, a brilliant musician who is able to stay in music as a metaphor for leadership. And it's, and he said once, um, it's in the wisdom of knowing what is all around you and playing that. Um, I think that the, you know, the, the experience that I described to you earlier of mm -hmm. coming home from school one day and learning that everything had changed um, has supported me in this kind of cultivation of an awareness, a kind of sensing awareness that actually one of my clients has observed to be what he calls a proactive awareness that I have. Mm, um, proactive awareness. That's kind of, I, yeah, a proactive awareness. I would so, call that, I would call that intuition, no? Yeah, I mean, but, but do we use the word intuition in a multinational corporation? It's more comfortable. It's more comfortable to say, "Yes, my awareness is proactive." I love that. Although, man, I don't know if I could use that, but I think it's wonderful. I love yeah. that. And you're, to me, I hear in you your total willingness to speak about it in any language—left brain, right brain. But the quality itself, I hear it. You, you, that, yeah, in proactive awareness, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, I think what you're pointing at is that so much of the work that we do is about bridging and translating. Um, the foundation of our work 
uh, is developmental psychology and the stages that adults can go through, can go through over their lifespan. Um, and so we design to support that adult development journey and to translate it into leadership. Uh, and at a certain stage of adulthood, we become more interested in the openness, vulnerability, creativity, inquiry, um, so many things that are not available to us earlier in life when we're interested in developing our expertise and our content knowledge and our ability to achieve things. So uh, what I try to do in our work is, is to uh, move along this developmental path in ways that feel both safe and provide a good stretch for uh, individuals and a team, uh, always calibrating the individual and the team, um, and and to understand that it's a natural process. And now, see, we, this is great. Again, I love this, but I want to. I want to. I hope I'm not going back to here too much. But what is that for you? Where is it stretchy for you? Where has it been? you know, maybe even uncomfortably stretchy as you've developed into this woman that you are today, this uh, leader today, where has it been uncomfortable? So you, you, there was this propensity I hear for, and it sounds like you're catapulted a bit into it to, because of this, um, your childhood, some, you know, with the loss of your father and having this proactive awareness and then did the world come in differently at that point? Or, you know, what, what is that that you carried with you or, or that you that risk was something you entertained or maybe it wasn't risky? I'm, I'm really curious about that. Your own capacity, how that was, was shaped. Yeah, I think there, that what, if I were to think about my, my own developmental journey, I can think about... Um, what I what I perceived to be interruptions, <laughs> you know, in career or in marriage. I separated from my husband and got divorced at a certain point. Um, and there would all, you know, one of my friends said, I, I've never seen anyone like you who can reinvent yourself the way you do. <laughs> um, but I think that what, when you were asking the question, what came to my mind was, um, Finding finding myself in a new place, right in a, in new territory in a new landscape, and finding a new finding a new voice, and then and then finding myself in another new landscape and finding the voice to you know that that the vision is a masculine thing. It's like, you know I here's my vision and I'm we're going to make our way, but finding voice to 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 name what is, to go deeply inside, to make meaning of what is. That's a feminine capacity, I think, that I have really tried to cultivate. Wow, vision and voice. Mm -hmm. Vision and voice, masculine and feminine. It's a beautiful way of putting this together. Mm -hmm. And the... When you, you know, saying where you are right now, when, what, what do you think was one of the most exciting places when you, you realized that you were really stepping more into your voice? I love that you speak about interruptions. I, I have to tell you, I just keep hearing this as I'm talking to creative professionals and artists about the role of interruptions and the mm -hmm. role of this quality you're speaking about, you know, this intuition or the ability to... Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, let awareness lead us in. And right now, talking about it as a way of finding your voice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I mean, I will share with you that I mentioned a few minutes ago that I dreamed my life. Yeah. I'd been with a small group one evening um, and, and a First, First Nations woman, an Indigenous woman, uh, wanted to just drum for us. It was a beautiful gift. She, she, was, she was learning how to um, be a drummer and she, and I came home and I, and this is, you know, it was so still vibrating in the heart, my heart center. And I dreamed this dream. It was just color. I woke up in the morning. I knew it was the dream of my life, 
and yet there were no words for it. And words came later. And every time I, I have this uh, uh, funny experience that every time I share, every time I share the words with people, they want to change them or fix them. <laughs> I think, really? But I. But the words that came later were, "I'm always getting lost in beautiful places." So if I draw a line from that dream, and that was probably in the year 2000 to January of this year, where I was working with uh, a leadership team I've been working with for a fair bit of time. We have trust. We have, they have really been committed. I mentioned them a few minutes mm-hmm. ago. Um, and we were, you know, we were meant to be doing that thing of developing a 2020 development plan where the individual and the collective plans would merge and off they would go. And I just found I couldn't really do that again this year. So what I asked them to do instead was write haiku. Write write haiku and then stand in front of your peers with your poem and see what happens. Let's see how that supports your clarity of intention around your development for 2020. And I can, I, can I stop you right there? I want, I, please, we can continue yeah. in a second. Right there, when you knew you just couldn't do the kind of plan uh, that you'd spoken about, you know, the old, the way you've done it before, which is probably great when you did it before, where did that come from? Was that something that you just walked into the room knowing? Did you, I mean, how, where, that knowing when did that show up? Was it as you were planning the regular thing you would do and you felt the dissatisfaction? When you, did you walk in there with one plan and say, forget this, we're going into haiku? What was that like well, to I bring think that the, in? Well, I think the what will often show up. So I think we're going to do haiku, and then the why comes later. My understanding of why I have moved this way mm-hmm. or that way comes later. And I, I hear just, you try, and I hear you I hear you getting that like you don't have to know the why to trust the what. No. Mm-mm, not anymore. Not anymore. How fun was that Mary to bring the haiku in? Well, I I mean it was it was stunningly beautiful for you know from my perspective but more from seeing them in seeing them respond to each other. I I went through a little bit of you know what what is haiku? Because these are people from, there. I think it's 13 people from eight countries and five languages. And so we're trying to, trying to find a way into understanding what it is we're doing. So I gave them a little bit and shared a uh, basho haiku and the kind of conventional Japanese form. And then I said, oh, and here's one that's, you know, a corporate person wrote that I grabbed off the internet. And it was much more safe. Mm. Uh, and I shared with them that, that, you know, haiku generally has a, you know, kind of natural elements from the natural world, but also a bit of a, a bit of surprise and maybe a bit of a koan, a, a puzzle for the mind. And um, so off they went to do them and the first person stood up and the first line of his haiku was breath like nature in winter. And the room went silent. And then they, you know, and then he just shared what was coming up for him when he was uh, writing that. And then the next woman came up and she shared a quote from a U.S. president because she couldn't do it. She said it was too hard for her. And somebody said, but Margaret, I see writing on the back of your sheet of paper. What's that? And she took a deep breath, turned it over. And her first line was, kiss the hidden fear. And it just went on like Oh my gosh. This. I'm one melting person, over here. Yeah. One person after another after another with um, this, you know, the beauty that was just kind of bringing um, such fullness of their humanity into the room and such uh, imagination. And so the conversation, they said, oh, that was. Of the two, we were together for two days, and they just—it was the best part of the two days. And and we never, we don't really analyze. Well, what did what did we do? Why did we do it? We just let it 
let it then carry us to to the place it wants to carry us. To the place of where? Just to the place that it, whatever it is, whatever's happening, uh, can carry us can carry us forward or into a, a, a next layer of awareness and understanding. What a beautiful story. That's these are the moments that I live for as a person. I tell people this is really those moments when that can happen in a room or the shift to the back of the paper. Mm-hmm. I those excite me, I think, more than anything. And it's because I, I, I feel like that surprise to be able to be surprised in life in that way and and oh, doesn't that bring in a sense of a joy or I mean when I hear it I it feels like it awakens that sense of oh we're alive and mm-hmm. we just can we're like we're really in this um, mm-hmm. and so you didn't have to do a big debrief or how did you work with the information that came you let it kind of be there you let them how did you tie it into the from know. there each each individual member of the team was um was offered a conversation with a coach, one of our coaches. And so they went off and had their confidential conversations uh, and we're just now going to uh, into the conversation about what, what does all of this mean for who and how we are going to be together through the rest of the year. And, um, you know, I think to your, we, you know, they see themselves now as, being very much alive and in that, um, in a living system, in one that is changing so dramatically, they see a more subtle set of capabilities or capacities that they can call on, um, both as individuals and in the relational or the interdependent space that they create together. Oh, it's beautiful. And when you look at people, when you are bringing people onto your team, either as coaches or, I mean, I know only a little bit, but artists, scribes, musicians, poets, what do you have to give them kind of a context of what the room is going to be like? Or do you let them just completely do their thing? Um, What kind of relationship do you have with your team to, because not everybody has this balance of the, you know, has as much left brain capacity or, you know, ability to speak comfortably business language, however you want to put that, and have this delight in bringing in opening spaces for haiku, stuff like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that some of the people who bring on your team, if they're coming primarily as a poet or uh, as a musician, they may be coming more from that right brain place. Is there anything you need to do to contextualize it? Is that their work or is that your work or is that not work that you have to spend much time on curious about how Mm -hmm. you work with your teams because I think a lot of people I know are people that or that I talk with are people that it's like how do they get hired to be on a team like like what are the qualities that are important when you're looking for people to Uh work with Uh um it's I think in the in the design and the facilitation of the the kinds of environments we create, it's I feel it's really important that we are able to be precise about you know there is a dimension of precision that needs to be present. Um, we're not choosing this color. I'm just speaking metaphorically here. We're not choosing this color uh, randomly. We're choosing it intentionally. We're um, we're not playing this music randomly. We're we're choosing it intentionally, and so um, that can sometimes be mistaken for um, a, a detail orientation. That I don't think it is. I think it's a you know this need to be um, creative, which often has I think a kind of bad, you know a bad <laughs> reputation for being random. I think to be creative in these kinds of environments where you're designing for transformation requires us to be fully aware that creativity has to do with things like tending to the aesthetic 
mentions of something, the colors, the sounds, the seating, the, um, the coherence that we're creating um, through what we say and how we're being. Um, and so the people that come in to work with me who are facilitators are often people who have a rich creative life themselves. Mm-hmm. They, may, um, they may be painters, they may be poets, they may be. And then there are the master artists who come in and work with me, like uh, Martin Hayes, Padraig Otuma, David White, who, who have, um, you know, refined their craft to a point of maturity and mastery that people are enchanted when they listen. People are transported. I once said to David White, you can do with a group in three hours what it can take us three years to do. So I think that's the power of the artistry and the power of re, um, reclaiming creativity in our relationships and business life is that it opens things and in my highly scientific language, it whooshes things deeper and further than we can imagine. I'm, I see this even happening in coaching conversations I have with uh, clients where just a simple two minute drawing will take us like what it might've taken four sessions to get to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's all the time. Uh, so I'm a, you know, I'm a complete believer. I wondering what it, is it possible to language uh, what it is, say that happens in three hours with someone like David White that could take three years. Is it a, a place of listening? Is it a place of connection that helps that leadership team? What do you think it is that quality? Well, that- I think it's about the the layers of of space that can be opened up, and I think we spend a lot of time in organizations, in discussions that are aimed at making decisions and taking action. So, you know, a surface and yet deepening way of opening that up is to help teams develop their capacity for dialogue, for stepping back, for inquiring. Um, But I think that uh, a musician like Martin Hayes is able to open up what we would call deep space, uh, where things are moving more, you know, time, time slows down. We connect with things that are um, much more fundamentally human uh, and at the same time very ancient, perhaps. And um, I think there's, there's, there's a way to do this in business life that is not... Um, frightening or overwhelming for people and if we can do it then it opens up the conversation um, about where they're feeling frightened and overwhelmed uh, and and allows them to develop um, different paths forward and are you seeing in your in your experience that that's a real powerful move is to kind of becoming aware and are able to share overwhelm spaces that are shutting them down as a way of, you know, when I hear that, I hear that that would create new possibilities when we can finally admit like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm totally in overwhelm. Wait, if I can deal with this, maybe I can actually function in a whole new way here, but how do I do that? Is that, what, what's your sense of that? The power of actually getting that real sense on a deeper level of where you are, or where some of these leaders are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we, so if I were to think of it as a, as a continuum, you know, with some teams, we need to come in with our, with, with our bag full of acronyms and, you know, we're, we're in the VUCA world and things are volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. Um, and to draw on Hogarth's work, you know, and we tend to react by creating the paid environment where everyone is feeling pressured, always on with information overload and distracted. Some teams need to be able to understand, you know, find their, think their way into the context uh, that they're in. Uh, And other teams can come in, um, be dropped, you know, they can enter a situation where they can be dropped in more 
um, dramatically, more deeply, more quickly. Uh, and, that, and certainly that's what we do at our Burren Executive Leadership Retreat. Uh, one person who came talked about our unstructured structure. We don't really even provide an agenda, uh, but we bring artists and leaders together um, in peer inquiry in an ancient landscape in the midst of the hospitality that our, our hosts at the College of Art provide. And things happen much more differently than, we, than when we're taking baby steps in a corporation. And at this point, you don't feel the pressure or the tension to make the relevancy argument like people are already, business people are in enough with you or leaders when they come to the Bruin? Well, we, contacts doesn't, we, we don't sell our work. We don't, we don't set meetings to try and convince people to bring us into their organizations. I actually am now at the point of just really trusting that those who are meant to work with us will find us. I think we're visible enough out there and people can talk to people about the experience they've had. Um, this is, you know, there's not a, I used to talk about yearning before the external environment became what it is today, I think we were too, you know, we were tapping into a, a human yearning for something different in organizational life. Uh, but I think now we're really in, um, in a place where the old ways simply will not serve us any longer. And what we have been able to practice over these last 15 years with our clients, the way that we've been able to help them to prepare, prepare for this moment that we're all in right now where systems are colliding and collapsing around us, um, I think speaks, speaks for itself. And then, so I don't worry about it, and nor do I worry about times when the work goes quiet because there's something happening beneath the surface that is simply moving uh, toward what's next. Well, that's beautiful. And that I know definitely comes from experience and having been doing this a long time, I'm, you know, to get the sense of those ebbs and flows there. Mm -hmm. But do you have anything you would share for somebody, say, who is 30 years old, knows them, kind of identifies themselves as a, an artist, um, and they're in the workforce. They're a designer. They're an industrial designer. Uh, they're an editor. They're a, whatever it is they're finding a way to doing. Um, and they need to kind of keep going, right? They're 30. They're still, they're mm -hmm. building, they're growing, and, and it's this pressure. Okay, you've got to have a great portfolio. You've got to have, now there's a lot of conversation of having just the right mentor, is there something that you see in the people that you're hiring that is serving them well or in some of the younger people that you've worked with or engaged with that you see as a real strength in terms of how to, can, how to keep having a relationship to that core creativity that you have but also make it in the world? Um, Mm -hmm. do, you, do you see, yeah, because a lot of times what I, when I'm saying to people, I say something like, I don't think it's an option for a lot of people in this situation when you, you identify yourself as somebody that works with a plank page so much and makes things up. I'm thinking you've got to follow your energy and follow the flow. There isn't really another option because you'll get stopped. You know, I mean, that's kind of how I relate to it. I'm curious what you see from your vantage point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, there, I, I don't remember the name of it, but there's a William Stafford poem um, about the thread you follow. Follow the thread. I have that yeah, poem. Yeah. Yeah. It goes among things that change. And I think for, um, for creative people, for people who uh, are finding their way in the work that uh, they would like to, make, to build their life around, um, finding that thread is, is really, really important. And what we encourage is that um, 
is that we all do autobiographical writing to find those pivotal moments in life that have shaped us, to find the, you know, the link. If once I understood the link between this, you know, the my my early creative love of collage and the colliding um, experience of my dad dying uh, suddenly, uh, and how that shaped my orientation to change. I developed so much more confidence in my work and the way I was approaching my work. And so doing this autobiographical work, and it could be through drawing or collage work or writing, um, but to find what we would call developmental transformations, significant moments where um, things foundationally changed, shifted for you. Um, were you attracted towards something that you thought was possible or were you leaving behind something that was no longer serving you um, in those moments <laughs> or both at the same time, of course. So I think that's one, one thing that I would really encourage because then as we're, what I've found is that if that, um, if you're always carrying that thread then it becomes really easy to understand or much easier to understand what to say yes to and what to say no to. Um, and, in, in, and in saying yes to the things that we know um, are a necessity at a point in time, but not a fit for, the, for a long time, how do we continue to cultivate that core even while we're in it? Um, I think the second thing, one of my cl early, early clients, when they were involved with us on a transformation journey. And of course we were in this kind of making it up as we um, went along situation, started to tell each other to trust the process, trust the process. And I think that, you know, cultivating your ability to trust something that's beneath the surface of the everyday uh, and comes with, um, self-aware self what i would call self-compassion you know um trust the process and know that you can be compassionate with yourself as you step this way it doesn't work fail over here and it doesn't work uh, find the you know find this third thing that seems to open something up and, and you be self-compassionate and silence the inner critic uh in 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 all situations, whether you feel that it's uh, um, the right move, whether you've made the right move or one that you uh, actually are second guessing. Yeah, Those this, would be two things. Yeah. I love it. It's so beautifully articulated. Um, would you, what, I know we're, we only have a few more minutes here together. Um, we just on our last couple of minutes probably here, but do you remember a time when your critic showed up specifically i love hearing the words of the critic because they're so mean often there's such a you can't do this you're not smart enough or you have to make a living what are you thinking i mean there's i'm not you know i'm just curious uh, do you remember a particular experience where you really had to say hey wait a minute that is so my inner critic and this is not helping me actually it's not helping me mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that as as a child and a and a young person who was very creative, um, I I tended to show up with a kind of openness and vulnerability in certain environments um, could be quite easily preyed upon. <laughs> you know, I think that the kind of vulnerability a creative person shows up with can be exploited. And so I think that over time... Did you have I, an experience that you can share? Not a, I think it's more a pattern, more a pattern of, you know, showing up with a, with a kind of openness and, a, you know, a, a kind of accommodating spirit. Uh, let's try this out. Let's, you know, as a, as a young woman, um, tended to tended to lead me into places where I was thinking I was headed into safe space, but I, but I really, I, I wasn't. And so I think that the voice that grew out of those experiences, those early experiences, was one of uh, needing to, to, to protect and be, 
you know, self-sufficient to hold oneself back, to silence one's own voice. And I think, again, you know, there's been a lot of uh, work I've done around my own developmental process to come to understand and come to be able to reclaim that kind of creative openness and vulnerability um, and to, to know the, to know, to trust my own sense of um, danger and safety and, you know, margin and center and all of these kinds of uh, polarities that um, I, 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 I hear you really calibrating. I hear you really outing the impact of being shut down. You know, it's like um, a lot of people, well, myself included, you know, in junior high school, um, when a lot of people confront this kind of thing, just saying, oh, you know, this drawing that I'm doing isn't good enough. It doesn't look enough like what this is supposed to look like. And then the shutdown, because there's such a vulnerability there of liking to do something, wanting it to be good, wanting people to like it. And then maybe the environment isn't about uh, helping you find a way with whatever it is you're doing, but more kind of the grading mentality. I mean, there's a lot of shutdown in, in different context i i hear almost you saying that like yes you bumped you do definitely experience that along the way and and you are still in a process it sounds like of reclaiming that original wholeness <laughs> yeah and i well and i think that that's the journey for yeah. each one of us through the lifespan is to yeah. is is to re reclaim the wholeness that was already ours right and and has become covered over but I, but I think that in this current leadership environment, in the environment that many organizations cultivate um, of, um, you know, linearity and predictability and um, kind of a one-size-fits-all to being an organizational member, it takes real, um, it takes real creativity to be creative. Uh, and I think that that um, we're desperately in need of different forms of leadership, evolved yeah. forms of leadership, yeah. uh, ways of being more human in organizational life, uh, of ways of creatively finding our 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 um, finding our way together through very complex situations. Uh, and so for me, this, this work of coming, uh, again, to see, to, to understand my small personal journey, reclamation journey back to the full creative, um, I'll say vivid whole that each of one of us is, um, is very much embedded in the work I do. Can this team reclaim Right, reclaim its potential and what um, what it might be, and for the sake of all of us, I think for the sake of future generations, we need to be doing this work personally and uh, and in our organizations. And I well, think, that, yeah, are we, we are we at time? Yeah, but no, it's all right. I just I love that, and I also like how completing with that vision of how important it is for all of us and for the future generations. It mm -hmm. it it is so the opposite when I hear you speak like this of some notion of selfishness or self absorption, but actually of meeting needing it to meet the challenges that we have now and that we're going to have. So. I love that. To me, that's the relevant story there. Is this mm -hmm. out of this old, oh, well, that's nice. You can be creative. It's like, no, no, no. If we don't find new ways of accessing our choices, decisions, you know, I, that's what I hear. I get, I get that from you when you speak of your work and, and also tying in the individual developmental mm -hmm. journey. It's beautiful, Mary. Mm -hmm. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you, Julie. I, I think that this, uh, your conversations are probably going to be of great service to people who see themselves as creative and, and people who potentially feel that they've lost their way around that. So you'll be helping them find their way back. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. Take good care. Okay. 
Well, that's today's podcast of Creative at the Wheel. Before we go, I want to thank you for listening, and I invite you to tune in again. You can listen to more of these podcasts on SoundCloud on my Creative at the Wheel channel, and you can learn more about my one-on-one coaching for creatives at paintbiglivebig.com.